customers really trust Okta. And I have personally always found trust to be this very interesting sentiment because it can't be acquired. It has to be earned. Like so many people try to get trust and it has to be earned. It's also something you can't compromise on. Uh, think of your house. Would you ever get a locksmith who you don't trust? The answer is no. The same thing I think applies to your identity solution because in some ways they're like the locksmith and gatekeepers of your digital assets. So you want an identity solution that you can completely trust. And I think that's how people feel about Okta. Today we are joined by Sagnik Nandi, CTO and President of Technology at Okta, the world's number one identity platform. He spent 15 years at Google working on key areas like Google Analytics and Google Ads. Now he's focused on identity management and keeping us safe in the digital world. We talk about what it takes to build scalable products, how to stay grounded in high-stress situations, and a lot more. Let's dive in. Zagnik, welcome to the podcast. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. So let's get started. To kick off the conversation, I would love to know if you had to describe your career in one word, what would it be and why? It's a tough one. I would have to, if it's one word and I can't cheat, it'll be gratitude. I feel when I look back and whatever little I've managed to do, the problems I got to work on, the kind of impact it had, and the people I got to work with, and some amazing technology, all of these far exceed what I ever thought. Like when I was graduating and started my professional career, I had no idea that I'll get to do what I did in these aspects. And more than anything, multiple people over the years helped me grow, mentored me, took chances with me when they had absolutely no reason to. Uh, I keep asking many of them, like, why, why did you do that? And it still amazes me. I've been very, very grateful to have these wonderful people take their chances on me, mentor me, uh, help me when I stumbled. Uh, I can't help but feel anything other than gratitude for everything. That's awesome. Love the way you phrased it and the thought behind it. So after getting your PhD at San Diego, you were an engineer and you joined a little company called Google. What was the company like when you first joined? And then secondly, you know, what made you stay at Google for 15 years? When I joined Google, it felt like the largest small company. And when I left Google, it felt like the smallest large company. And what I mean by that is when I joined Google, it felt like I'm still going to school and being paid a lot more for it. It had that very, like it had a university vibe to it. But at the same time, it was solving problems at massive scale, massive impact. So there was just so much infrastructure, framework, everything backing you. But it felt like every idea was up for discussion. People were audacious in what they would bring up. And it was possible to take any of those ideas, run with it. And I think some great things happened because people questioned the status quo on a regular basis. So it felt like a small startup, but the largest possible version of it. I joined um, through Apogee, the acquisition. I joined in 2016. And I had the chance to go and talk to a lot of people at Google, right? People like yourself and a bunch of others. And I saw it very rapidly become a very large company. 
like very rapidly. It seems like I, at my, the beginning of my tenure, I still saw a bunch of small company kinds of things, like the number of decisions, the number of people making decisions was still very small. And then all of a sudden, it like it's still a phenomenal company and it's done so much for this, for the world, right? Hopefully for the universe, right? And so tell me why you decided to stay for this long. Is it, what did you get out of it? As an engineer at heart, it was an amazing place to be. Like four things happened simultaneously, which I really enjoyed. It had some great problems, like really, really interesting technical problems, pretty much in very, very different areas of computer science or even other disciplines. So it had a very rich pool of problems where you could build solutions bottoms up, grounds up, like there are not too many companies building their own file system or building storages like literally from scratch or building custom storage, indexing systems of this scale, machine learning. That was one thing that happened. These problems had tremendous impact, obviously impact potential when you started working on them. And in many cases, that impact potential was realized. So it was very gratifying seeing things which you felt like a million people would use, get used by tens of millions. That is uh, infectious and very gratifying. So that was the second thing that happened. The third thing was the people. It was an amazing set of people. I've had like multiple instances where I've discussed something with someone only to later realize that this person is probably the biggest expert on this topic. The fact that they even encourage my point of view in those conversations is humbling. Uh, so I really enjoyed that aspect. And the fourth thing was, I, I think Google supported individuals to grow in many ways. So every time I felt I was saturating in terms of grow, uh, like knowledge or like being able to have impact, there was a new thing I could try. So I, I had a blast for 15 years. For somebody with a technical mind, it's like being in a candy store. And the second thing is you're solving intergalactic problems, right? And so I think those two are both on your list of four, right? So it's awesome. After Google, you moved to Okta, you're the CTO and the president of technology. What prompted the change? So I think part of it was that it was 15 years. Like, again, I have introspected and retrospected about this. I think I felt I need, just needed to prove it to myself that every time I felt comfortable in Google, I would try to do something different to see, like, can I succeed? I started feeling that same kind of comfort at Google level. I was like, can I succeed outside Google? Do I add value? So that was the biggest thing. The second one was Google as I mentioned, like it is an amazing place to build systems ground up, build things from scratch. But Google also does things in a Google way. And the 15 years I was in Google, the technology world outside was evolving very differently. And, you know, how cloud native, cloud only development where companies don't have the liberty of building every infrastructure component from scratch how does that world look like? How do you function in that world? How do you succeed in that world? How do you evolve in that world? It was very important for me to learn and be part of that ecosystem. And then the third is, I, I think Okta as a company ended up being a very, very good mix of what I was looking for, uh, for my kind of next challenge. So th those were the three things. 
you're a pro at building scalable products, right? What do you think is the one key mistake that people make when they're building scalable products? I think they don't proactively think about growth and scale and sustainability. There are two phases in any product or company. One is when they're trying to figure out, will we be successful? And at that point, investing in the future growth scale seems premature. And then you become successful and then you no longer have the liberty of pausing because like everything you need at that point, you needed it yesterday. So there's this almost regular tussle of like, at one point it's not worth planning and at one point it might be a little too late. So proactively planning to sustainably grow for the future, I think is a fine balance, a very important thing. A lot of people look back and say that, ah, if we knew everything we know now, we would have designed a very different system. But what's also funny is they know that they have that information at that point and they still don't do anything about it because they're like, it's too late. And then two years later, they're having a very similar conversation. They're like, two years back would have been a good time to act on some of those things. So that's one thing. The other, which happens as almost a result of this is no one builds systems for deprecation or like anytime you replace a massive system, it's a painful endeavor. But finally, when you build it, there's still that confidence that, oh, now I figured it all out. This won't need to happen a second time, a third time, a fourth time. So no one builds systems, keeping in mind that those systems have to eventually make way. So you see that with like data porting, you see that with like statefulness. Like every time people finally build the system they want, they forget all the pains that they went through. And next time they have to go through a very similar process again. That's awesome. Can I, I want to double click on sustainably growing, right? Because you're in a high stretch situation, right? You're dealing with privacy security where time is critical for you and your customers. And yet you want it to be sustainable growth. How do you balance that? How do you stay grounded in balancing that with the teams you lead? Yeah, so th- that was actually one of the things I really enjoyed uh, about Okta. I personally love things where a lot of times people face problems and they try to choose between two extreme trade-offs. And I think the best solutions that emerge are ones that don't make it a trade-off but manage to achieve best of both worlds. So classic would be oftentimes when people think about privacy uh, in the identity space, they feel like one way to make things more secure is make it more cumbersome like for the user, like make it difficult. So they often trade off usability with security and they're like, okay, we can make systems more secure, but it becomes more painful for the customers. But I love the fact that Okta was, no, you, we can make best of both worlds. You can make it seamless. You can make it delightful while making it more secure. It's doing both that creates very interesting problems and keeps at least me grounded. Can we move faster? without compromising on quality? Can we plan for the future while not giving up like immediate needs? It's possible, but it's, it's interesting and challenging. Very much so, right? One of our values at Datastax is execute thoughtfully with speed. That trade-off is not an easy one to make, whether it's you, whether it's me, whether it's an IC, it doesn't matter, right? It is just a hard thing to make. And sometimes I feel like one should be prescriptive on it, and sometimes we are, but other times, 
you actually just want to be directional and let the individual make the decision on how fast they want to go versus how thoughtful they want to be. Because I think there is a way to do both. Yeah, I think some of the things we always try is it's important to make mistakes. Any culture which makes it hard or a taboo to fail, I think over time stops growing. So we obviously want to learn from every possible ounce of experience around us, but you sometimes have to try things, fail and learn from it. Like failing is fine. Not learning from failing is a bad thing. So I think you have to create that, both that setup and that safety. That's one thing. The other is to really bring in diversity of thought and experiences. Like even now, like one of the things I have benefited over the years and I'm trying to do is bring differing point of views, like pair someone who's been in the company for a very long time with someone who's been in the company for three months and create a setup where one doesn't feel intimidated by the other or one doesn't feel like they don't have a voice in the discussion. If you can create the dynamics where all thoughts are brought to the table, new ideas are explored, but also old ideas and learnings are respected, you get a good mix. It's much, it's very, very easy to say that and hard to strike that right balance. But when it happens, it's, it's magical. It is magical, for sure. So before we jump into the rapid fire round, what is the best advice you've ever received? I think it came down to a lot of things I've worried about over the years. Had you just given it a little time, they would have ceased to be an issue. And one of my early mentors told me that patients can solve a lot of problems just because they stop being problems. There's this book called Stumbling on Happiness. And one of the things it mentions is anytime you have a problem, ask yourself that, you know, two years from now, will I be thinking about either this problem or the outcome of it? And it's funny, like once you give that two-year window to it, most things stop looking as bad as they do at that point. So I, I wish I could tell that to my younger self. I, I think I practice more of it now, but still nowhere close to where I should be. So I'm sure I'll be giving myself some variant of this advice a few years from now as well. You know, it's funny. Uh, I use the, uh, it's, if it's not clear, it's not time. That's very well put. But the same, the same part that you talk about, you start with time and then look for clarity or you look for clarity and then you, it's a combination of both of those. That's great advice, by the way. All right, this is uh, the rapid fire. I'm going to ask you a few questions. I want you to say the first word or phrase that comes to mind. So let's go. What's one item besides your phone that you always carry with you? Probably my wedding band. It's awesome. What is your favorite song on your playlist? Right now, my kids have taken control over any music. So right now they are playing. Uh, we don't talk about Bruno nonstop. All right. That's great. What's your favorite comfort meal? Tikka masala and kulcha. Awesome. How do you decompress after a long day? Either reading or watching some show. What show? My wife and I, we are avid thriller buffs. So any kind, like the one we are watching right now, it's called Death in Paradise. It's a detective show, but it keeps changing. That's awesome. Inspiration can come in many ways, right? So this is a two-part question. 
who has inspired you the most and what has inspired you the most? It has to be my parents. I've been blessed with parents who put their children above everything else. And I think my sister and I benefited tremendously from that. In terms of what inspires me, the realization that there's just so much to learn at any given time, I find it very inspiring. This is awesome. That was a lot of fun. I really appreciate you making time to come and hang out with us. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Inspired Execution Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like and subscribe. We have many more phenomenal guests and inspiring stories to come. So be sure to join us next time. Thank you.